Luke 21, 1 through 4, the widow's mite. Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they are all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Too often in life, I think we are impressed by the wrong things. I think sometimes when we see a brand name, kind of we get an ooh and ah of it, or we might see something that, a generic thing, it's just about as good as maybe the brand name one, and we kind of favor, even though it's more expensive to buy the brand one because it gives us a little prestige, and people know that we have that kind of item. Um, makes a difference in how people may look at us. Um, we're impressed by how big someone's diamond is or how expensive or how nice their car or house is or the job that they have or how much money they make or the fame or popularity they might have. And often in life, we're impressed by a lot of those things and, and perhaps too much. Um, Will Rogers once said, too many people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't want, to impress people they don't like. And uh, I think that might be true in some cases. Um, if we're honest tonight, and I'm going to list a number, maybe you can find yourself in one of these categories. Certainly we're all working on it. But I think if we're true and honest in, in our evaluation of where we are sometimes in this issue, we'd have to say that sometimes we completely value the wrong things. For example, um, we value looking good, over being good. Um, and sometimes we care more about what's on the outside than on the inside. Sometimes we value things that money can buy over things that money cannot buy. Um, sometimes we value getting our own way over getting God His way. Um, we value sometimes getting more than giving, although Jesus said the blessing comes from the opposite of that. We value the temporal over the eternal we value me over we, and that's seen in families and churches all over. We value our finances over our family and money and the future retirement we might have, even though we have to give up time and, 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 and perhaps with our wives or our spouse or our children to do it. We value what our kids can do over what our kids should be. And we have values. And sometimes our values are a reflection more of our culture and the American dream than they are anything that God would put out as biblical values. Why do we do it? Why? Um, well, there's a lot of reasons, and we couldn't tackle them all tonight, what motivates our hearts and our desires. But I think one of them is, at least this, is that we're more interested too often in pressing people than we are in pressing God. Um, we value what people think of us at times, too much, more than we value what God thinks of us. And that leads to this. We, therefore, will be willing to exchange what is primary in value for what is secondary in value. And too often, we no longer know the difference between the two. 
In fact, let me go a little further. We not only exchange it, we swap it. We swap what is supremely valuable, namely God and people, for what is secondary in value, what should be inferior to what is supreme, what should be subordinate to what is supreme, what should enhance what is supreme. And instead of doing that, we make it primary. We make it everything in our lives. And this disordered value system, this being impressed by the wrong things, Jesus says, is very spiritually dangerous. That's where our text comes in. Not in the verses I read you, but the verses right before it. Let me read them to you. And this is the context in which the widow of might story I read you takes place. And please note, because we're going to make the connections. If you're writing notes or have your pen or pencil, draw lines, because you'll need to. Verse 45 of chapter 20 says, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, So we have to know this, that what's taking place in the widow's might story is a lesson on discipleship. It's a lesson on what it means to follow Jesus, what it is when you are his disciples, when you know him. This is what will be true and different in your life. Beware, warning, remember Will Robertson? You know, the arms there. Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, impressing people, and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who, who devour widows' houses, draw a line between widow there and the widow in our passage. And for a pretense, in other words, They want to look good when they're not being good. They want to impress people more than they want to impress God. Externalism over internalism. That's the name of the game for the religious leaders. They pretense, they make long prayers. Jesus says this, here's what I think of that type of living. It will receive the greater condemnation It's going to be judged. It's going to be condemned. People are going to see the fallacy, the emptiness, the banality of it. It will be worthless in the day of judgment. And so here's what Jesus says. And and before I go a little bit more and develop that, let me just put it in context. When you put something in context, it brings weight. It brings heaviness, value to the text. And let me show you why this text about the widow's might is so crucial. Number one, you have to know that in Luke's gospel, it takes place during the Passion Week. This is the very last week of Jesus's life. This is the week where this is probably Monday, or, you know, triumphal entry was the day before, uh, and Matthew, I mean, Luke 19, and now in chapter 20, in verses 21, Jesus has been teaching in the temple. And he's teaching people, and the Bible says in Luke 20 and verse 1 that he's teaching in the temple and he's preaching the gospel. So he's telling people, listen, he's telling them, here's what the kingdom is and here's how you can get into it. Here's how you can know that you have been evangelized. Here's how you can know that you know God. So our text is not just some um, incidental matter about, really, you should give more money to the church. That's not what this text is about. It's not primarily about money, although wealth is a part of it. There's widows in this, there's worship in this, and there's wealth in this. And all those things are mentioned in this text, but they're not the main point. Because this is Passion Week. Jesus is going to die in a few days. 
And so he's teaching in the temple. And all throughout chapter 20, here's what's taking place. All kinds of religious leaders, and I'll name them for you. Chief priests, scribes, Sadducees, elders. All of them take their turn during chapter 20. And they come and try to get Jesus, catch him and trap him in his words. Try to get him into a question that he can't answer. And by the end of the chapter, it says, And they dare not ask him any more questions. (laughs) Because everything they he trapped them and everything they wanted to trap him on. He's way too wise for them. He has all the answers. They don't. And they, they finally give up because this is a useless task. And so he's confronting the religious leaders. And so when he does that, now watch. Verse 45. Now li- listen, Jesus isn't a person who shies away from conflict. In fact, especially if you watch the Chosen latest episode last night, it says he stirs it up. Notice what he says in verse 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he says to his disciples. In other words, the disciples are around him, but he's talking loud enough that everybody can hear. And you know who the everybody is, right? Well, the religious leaders. And so he says, beware of the scribes. Catch this. Scribes are the professional theologians of their day. They are the ones whose job is to interpret the Torah and the Old Testament for everyone. They are the professors in the seminaries. They're the one who knows the Bible inside and out. The religious, biblical experts. And watch this. You think that you can know the Bible, but you could have such an unbelievable, extreme knowledge of the Scriptures and be completely wrong about almost everything in it. And Jesus says, beware of these guys. The only time he uses beware in, another, in Luke's gospel, the only other time is chapter 12 and verse 1. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. You know what it is? Hypocrisy. And every time he talks about being beware, warning, you know, red, red lights going off and all that kind of stuff, right? Here's what he's saying. Beware because the religious leaders who are in the temple today are two-faced. That's what he's saying. And he want, and listen to this, and he wants them to hear it. <laughs> he wants his disciples, as he's talking to them, to realize that if you, listen, a discipleship lesson, when you follow me, don't do what they do. Follow me positive, don't do what they do negative. So he says, beware of them. It's a verbal warning. It's like I read on a sign, beware of the dog. You ever seen those? In other words, beware because there could be imminent danger. I looked on the internet today and they had all kinds of beware signs. They had beware of the dog. They had one that said, forget the dog, beware of my wife. That's what it said on it. And then they had other ones on there that were kind of funny too. But beware, you know what it means, don't you? It's a warning. It's a signal that you could be in serious trouble. And so Jesus is waving the flag, warning people, the bridge is out, whatever you want to call it. He's saying, listen, don't take these guys seriously. Don't follow them. Don't listen to the professional theologians. You know why? Because they're hypocrites. And then he's going to tell you why. Because they're only out to impress people. Notice there's two types of words in verses 46 and 47. There's internal words and there's external words. Look at the internal ones. They're all marked off by the little word who. Who like who love, who devour. You know what they really want on the inside? They like to walk around in long robes. They want to look the part. They want to look like they are pious. They want to look like they're really spiritual. And long robes, by the way, were very expensive. And depending what color they were, you would say that they were very wealthy. Thus, the rich contrast in our text coming up. 
And so they wanted everybody to know because everybody thought back then if you were rich, God's hand of blessing on you. And they wanted everybody to know just how blessed they were. So they wore the long robes, the very expensive ones. They wanted everybody to know what they were and had. Who love. They loved the greetings in the marketplace. And you know, it would be rabbi, uh, teacher, like they would call, but they would come, they, they liked to have people pat them on the back. They liked to have all the special greetings so people would know, oh, there's so-and-so. Isn't he such a great guy? And they loved to devour widows' houses. And isn't that crazy? They liked, they, they devoured. It means to completely consume something. And notice where, this is important, where they liked this stuff. It was in the marketplaces, it was in the synagogue, and it was in the feast places. Those were all prepositional, you know what it means? It means they liked to be out in public. And the idea that Jesus wants you to get, that Luke wants you to get, is this is what their public persona was. That these religious guys were really concerned, we today would say this, that they had this certain image that when they are out in front of everybody, they appeared pious, holy, spiritual. I know the Bible, look at me, call me rabbi, call me all this. And you looked out and they could say all the right things and, and look the right parts. They had the external down. They really were impressive. And Jesus says this, don't be impressed with the wrong things. Don't look at their brand name spirituality. Don't look at who they really are. See who they really are, he says, in other words. They like the best seats. They like the places of honor. Both of those Greek words start with the, the prefix proto, which means first. They like to be first. They liked all the things that the externalism brought them, that when they were invited in the synagogue, they got the best seats and everybody else took a seat in the back. See, when they got to a, a feast or something and a big celebration, oh, Rabbi, please come up and sit here. James, in the epistle of James, warns against that. When the rich come into your assemblies, don't give them the good seat and put the other guy in the back. Then you're partial in your ways. See, that's what they tended to do. They loved all the trappings and all the benefits and all the first parts about playing the role of being spiritual. And here's what Jesus says. You know what you really like? Here's the bottom line. They had this view that they really loved God, but they used people. See, they thought, and this is prime Pharisaism, that you could have the vertical without the horizontal. That you could wear the robes, be in the synagogues, the mar everybody could call you rabbi, you could look the part, but then you would take advantage of people for your own sake. That's why they devoured widows' houses. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I think we're going to put it on the, on the board here. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 12 says, this is what temple leader, religious leaders in the temple should be doing for people who are widows. And Deuteronomy 26 and verse 12, uh, it reads this. When you have finished paying off the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, give it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, notice, and the widow, so they may eat within your towns and be filled. So there was in Torah a rule that after every so often they had to have all the money would come in and they would put a certain portion of it back because the people that were the Levites who, who were eating off of uh, everybody's generous kindness when they brought sacrifices to the temple, they would eat that food. The sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow 
And so they're supposed to take care of their own. And so what, what he, this is, watch the text. Jesus is teaching in the temple and all these rich uh, religious people are in there, right? And, and what they do is they look spiritual, but they're ignoring the law and they're to be the interpreters of it. And here's how they ignore it. Instead of taking care of the widows, they take from the widows. And what should have been happening, and we look at the widow in the story 21, 1 through 4, we said, wow, she put in her last two little copper coins. Isn't that great? Well, here's what we should think as well, that she should not be putting in her last two copper coins. What should have been happening is the temple and the religious leaders should be taking money from the temple to take care of her. But now she's destitute. Now she puts her last two bits in there, so to speak. And what you should be seeing is the hypocrisy of the temple should be taking care of her and giving to her, but yet she's giving to the temple. You know why? Because they devoured her house. And what you're supposed to feel in this text when Jesus gives it is that they've taken her house and now they've taken her money and she has nothing left. That's what you're supposed to feel about this type of religiosity. This type of vertical Christianity without any horizontal interest. If you look through Luke's gospel and you study women, it's very prominent. In fact, it is the most prominent gospel that have all kinds. There's 25 or so different women, and some of them by name are mentioned here in so many different facets. And one of the types of women mentioned here are widows. Luke's gospel is bookended with two widows in the temple. The first one, does anybody know in chapter 1? Yes, Anna, who's been without a husband for many, many years, and she's in the temple, and she never leaves the temple, and she's there day and night. So here's Anna, who's a widow at the beginning of Jesus' life, and then here's the widow without a name who has in the temple at the end of Jesus' life. And it kind of bookends, because here's what the widow, the story of all the widows in between. You have, between that, you have the widow of Sidon, who's a Gentile. And you have the widow of Nain who Jesus raises her son from the dead. You have the widow in the parable where she, she asked the judge that he would just give her something and help her out. And she's stubborn and she keeps pressing him because she's always pressing him. He meets her need. And then you have the widows in Acts, which is another book of Luke. And, and all throughout there. And what you find in every single story of widows in Luke Acts, the two books he wrote, is this. That every time a widow is mentioned, she has a great need. But listen, here's what you're supposed to see. That in Luke and in Acts, that all the widows have needs, but the religious leaders in the temple should be the ones meeting them, but they are not. And in every single instance in Luke's gospel, the person meeting the widow's need, no matter what it is, is Jesus. And you know why we have to notice that? It's because there's a big difference between horizontalist Christianity and Jesus Christianity. Following the religious leaders and following the master. Because here's what Jesus says true Christianity is. Here's what the gospel of the kingdom is. Is that you love God, hear me, by loving others. You love God by loving others. And so we have the pictures of devotion of widows in, the, in, in Luke's gospel and Jesus meeting their needs, the temple should be doing it. And that's why, this, listen, this is why the little paragraph we have is preceded by 
the wretchedness of the scribes and their hypocrisy and their pretense. And then this story in 21.5 on is followed by a story about how beautiful the disciples say, look at the temple stones and how beautiful they are. And they were. And Jesus goes into a long thing about how the temple is going to be destroyed. So why does this story fit in the middle? Because here's what he's doing. He is giving you a judgment on the religious temperature of the day with the leaders in the temple. They are both corrupt. The, the leaders are going to come under a greater condemnation and the temple itself is going to be destroyed and one stone will be left upon another. Here's what Jesus is saying. The whole system is corrupt. Don't be impressed by it. Don't be impressed by a religion or someone's values that say, say how much I love God, but I don't love people. And I don't mean just saying a few words, I love you or something. I mean actions. And therefore, we begin our text and says, Jesus looked up and he saw. Now notice, circle in your Bible, it says he saw two things. He saw the rich, verse 1, and notice the parallel, and he saw a poor widow. It's rich and poor. Now let me give you a list. This is a great thing you can do on your own Bible study. This is the theme throughout Luke's gospel, and I'm going to run through it real quick. And it's a great study because what we need to do in order to do what Jesus is doing in this text, in order to have the vertical and the horizontal connected in our lives in the way we love God and love others, we have to be able to see people like Jesus saw them. And so he saw is a huge theme in Luke. In chapter 5 and verse 20, when the paralytic man was brought in and they brought him through the roof, Jesus says he saw their faith. Chapter 5 and verse 27, he saw Levi sitting by a tax collector's booth and he said, come follow me. See, he saw the people letting him through the roof. He could see the faith that they had when no one else could see. He saw a tax collector that everybody hated and Jesus loved him. Chapter 7 and verse 13, he saw the widow whose son was dead, the widow of Nain, and what that meant for her. Because when you're a widow... You're not just financially poor, you're socially poor, you're relationally poor. That means you have no family left, no one to bring in income, not even a son. In her case, her son had died, and now she doesn't know how she's going to make it in life. And by the way, that's where a lot of prostitutes came from. They were widows who couldn't make it, and so they felt the only way that they could survive was to sell themselves. But Jesus says he saw her differently. Chapter 13 and verse 12, the woman that had an infirmity for 18 years, it says, and Jesus saw her and healed her. Chapter 17 and verse 14, Jesus comes across 10 lepers, and it says he saw the 10 lepers, and he goes and he heals every one of them, and only one comes back to bring him glory. Chapter 18 and verse 14, he saw the rich young ruler. Chapter 19 and verse 5, he saw and looked up and saw Zacchaeus in the tree. You see the tax collectors, the down and out, the infirm, the sick, the widows. See, everybody else dismissed them. Nobody looks at them. Nobody saw them. But Jesus does. Are you getting to get a little glimpse? Do you get a little picture of what it means to have the horizontal and the vertical connected it means that when you really love God, you don't just pass through life. You don't just walk through. You see people differently. You see people, this is a waitress that you have. But it's not just a waitress. This is a woman or a man, a waiter with a soul. These are people that when you buy things at the store, they have a need. They have a soul. 
people that are by you in your neighborhood, they're not just people who live next door that grill out all the time and have really noisy kids who leave their toys everywhere. No, they're people who are dying without Christ, most likely, and they need him. But see, if we get so busy in our schedule, but we come to church on Sundays, and we're here on Wednesday night, and we love the Bible, and we have the vertical stuff, and we like to have the scriptures, and we interpret them, and we read them, and we study them, but does it move us? Does it move us? to see people differently. Because we're not following Jesus. We're not being discipled by him. We're just becoming religious. If all we do is come to church and store up more knowledge and get more things to better our own lives, we're missing it, Jesus would say. And so he says, you gotta see people. How, now how does he see people? Now listen, he sees people differently. And by the way, not just poor people who have great needs. He sees the people who are full of themselves the way they really are too. So he says he saw the rich men and the rich people, namely the religious leaders. And you know what he sees them? He sees them putting their gifts, verse 1, into the offering box. Now I'm going to show you a picture on the screen. And it's a picture of what that looked like. See, those are, they're narrow and, and then they go well, this is not the, maybe this is not exactly the exact best replica, but it's supposed to be like a trumpet shape where it's kind of shaped with a little skinny in the middle like this one is, and there's a box beneath it. And there were a bunch of these, 13 of them. And in fact, these, these are, are kind of like cheaper versions of it, so to speak, because these were all lined with gold in the temple. There were 13 of them. If you went into the court of women in the Bible, court of the Gentiles and then the court of the women. They called it the court of the women not because only women could go in there but because women could go no further. If they went past the court of the women, they would be punished and put to death. So you could go in the court of the women on the side opposite of the colonnade on one side was a long, probably almost two-thirds of a quarter of a football field, long, and they had 13 of these receptacles, trumpet-shaped ones. And what you would do is they were very clearly marked in Hebrew and in Greek. And you'd go up there, and nine of them were for people who were giving their tithes. So this was your normal offering. You gave what you're supposed to give, and you you come in there, and you put your money in there, and it goes in the box. Four of them were gifts. You gave your gifts. This was voluntary giving above what you're supposed to give. And so what he has is, he says, people were giving. So you got rich guys who were religious people who were phonies and only had the external going, they were coming in with bags of money and they were pouring it into the gift uh, boxes and showing everybody that they were not only doing what they're supposed to do, but they're doing way more than they're supposed to do. And when they put the money in there, it goes to the trumpet and it rattles and rings all the way down. Kind of like Jesus said in Matthew 6, 2, when you give, don't trumpet yourself before you do it. And it may be that he's saying, hey, don't sit there and shake the thing so that all the sound comes through these trumpet-shaped receptacles so that everybody knows what you're doing. In fact, he goes on that same passage to say, don't know what your right hand is doing and your left hand is doing. In other words, it's not for you to do in front of other people. This is not about impressing. Kind of like I like the fact that we don't pass the offering plate. I like putting it in the box or doing it online because no one can see you do it. See, you know why? Because we have this propensity, this marred propensity to want to impress people on Sundays or on Wednesdays, but not be impressing to God all week long by not caring for other people like we should. And here's what Jesus says. All these guys 
he looks up and sees all these rich people putting in their money, and then he sees this poor widow. Let me give you a picture of what it might have looked like. See how everyone's around, and she's got the trumpet-shaped thing there, and she's putting it in by herself? Now listen, she's not seen by anybody. She's a widow. She doesn't have anything. She's not carrying a bag. She's not wearing the long robes. She's not noticed in public. No one's calling her by an official name. She is small, diminutive, unnoticed, except by Jesus. And all these guys are pouring in their extra money that they gave over the top, the 10% plus. And here she is. And the Bible says she puts in two copper coins. It's the term lepta. It's one one-thirty-second of a denarius. It's a day's wage was a denarius, and she was giving one-thirty-second of it. <laughs> Today we'd be saying she put her two cents in. So Jesus is going to tell us this. Look at both of them, and notice in the text, can you? It says, they put in, she put in. And it says it in verses 3 and 4. More than once. And and Jesus wants you to say, see what they're putting in and what she's putting in. Now, here's the thing. She's putting in these little copper coins that are, you know, the normal coins are bigger and they're silver or or gold looking. Hers is a little copper brown one, this big. I have a replica of it. Real teeny small ones. Smaller than our pennies. And she's putting two. It doesn't even rattle the trumpet on the way down. No one notices it. Jesus does. And here's the observation he makes. Now, get this. How is this possible? They're pouring in their bags of money, making all the noise, and everybody looks at them. She's put in next to nothing. In fact, she had next to nothing, and now she has nothing. And Jesus looks at them all. Here's the discipleship lesson. She put in more than all of them. No, watch. Not more than one of them. All of them. Everybody, all the rich people pouring in their extra money, she put in more than all of them. How's it possible? Well, he doesn't leave us guessing. And by the way, this is such an important lesson for you and I to get that all these centuries later, Jesus begins with a little formulatic phrase that he uses every time in Luke's gospel to set off a very important statement he's going to make. In verse 3, he says, Truly I tell you, when he says that, don't miss this because this is a valuable lesson. The poor widow... The poor widow, in contrast to the rich religious leaders, has put in more than all of them. How? Verse 4 starts with the little word for. See it? He's going to tell you how it's possible. It says in verse 4, for all, they all contributed out of their abundance. Now here's what you got to find. See the little word out of? Here's what they gave out of, and here's what she gave out of. It's a little preposition in Greek, and what it determines is the source. In other words, where does all the money they have come from? Well, it comes from an overabundance of money. In other words, these guys got thousands and tens of thousands of dollars, we'd say today, maybe more. Very rich, six-figure people. I mean, seven-figure maybe. And they give a bunch of money, but it doesn't hurt them. You know why? because they give out of their abundance. And here's the idea Jesus wants you to get. And where did they get it all? Well, they devour widows' houses, right? 
Do you know in Jesus' day, one of the traditions of the religious leaders was something that was called korban. In the Old Testament, it's a word that means dedicated and committed to. And the rule was this. Now get how this honors your parents is beyond me. But here's what they would do. That if you had extra money and you could give it, you could give it to God in the temple or dedicate it to him and you wouldn't have to do a thing to take care of your parents. So you could have parents, i.e. maybe a widowed mom, and she was really struggling to make it and you didn't want to spend any of your money on her because you wanted it for yourself. So guess what you could do? Well, I would like to give this money, mom, but it's korban, it's dedicated to God. So you're kind of on your own. And that's what they would do. That's what they thought pleased God. And here's what Jesus says. The religious rich people, you know what the source of their income is? Is all this money they have partially obtained from taking care of, taking advantage of women like this. But Jesus says, in contrast to that, look at the text. She gave out of her extreme poverty. She gave out of her lack So here's what Jesus would say. Ready for the principle? The source of what you give is more important than the sum of what you give. Can I say it to you again? The source from where you give is more important than the sum of what you give. Jesus says where your money comes from is more important than where your money goes. See, she put in all of this stuff And they put in more, they put in more materially, but she put in more in a different way. Which leads me to this principle. Did you know this? That you can give your money to God without ever giving yourself to him. And what the difference between this poor widow and the rich religious people are this, is they gave their money to God externally. She gave herself to God internally. She gave her whole self to God. But see, they couldn't do that. They couldn't give them whole self because they had never been giving God their whole self. They'd only been giving him the external. They really haven't given him the internal. So on the outside, to everyone else, they looked pious and great, but it was only a facade. It was a sham. It was superficial. It was only skin deep. But this woman, in contrast, was far different. Far different. She'd given her whole self to God. And can I tell you this? In a temple that was corrupt, with wrong values and pressed by the wrong things, here was a woman that stood out that nobody knows, and Jesus says to his disciples, I want to tell you, this is real spirituality. This is what it looks like when you follow me. Is that you would put yourself in financial straits, that you would put yourself in financial adversity, that you would give your last two cents because you love God, even though the people you're giving it to are using it for their advantage, for their own personal desires. See, it's the outside versus the inside value. She had the right value system and they had the wrong one. And so our text ends, can I say? Same chapter, Luke 21 and verse 34. Jesus says, beware one more time. Verse 34 says, but watch, it's the same word. Put in parentheses, beware. Beware yourselves. What is the te- Now, this is in the context of the temple. Someday, all of this corrupt system with wrong values and pressed by the wrong things, it's all going to come down. Beware yourselves, what? Here's your personal application. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and notice and the cares of this life. 
It's the little Greek word bios. In fact, it's the same little word used at the end of verse four in our text. You know what it says? She put in her two copper coins, and here's what Jesus says. And she gave all she had to live on. It's the same word used in Luke's gospel of the prodigal son. Remember when he had his dad's property, his livelihood? He went and sold it all. Remember that? He spent all that he had. In other words, all the money he had, he wasted, and he had nothing to live on. This is the same word used of this woman. She, gave, she didn't have anything to live on. This was it. She did not know where she was going to sleep. She did not know what she was going to eat. She didn't know how she was going to make it the next day. But when she gave it, her devotion to God vertically was shown horizontally by the way that she trusted him and loved him and was devoted to him. It was completely opposite of the Pharisees. And Jesus says, and that's why I'm replacing the temple and why I'm replacing the religious leaders because it's all fake. It's all a sham. She gave her whole living. And Jesus would say, because that's true worship. That's what this temple ought to be about. It ought to be about people like her who don't have the theology, who don't have the degrees behind her name, but they got the vertical and the horizontal connected. Tonight, go home and make a plan personally, intentionally, that you're going to connect the vertical and the horizontal this week. That you're going to say, God, I love you, and so let me love others to show you how much. Now listen, it's not how much you put in. It's where it comes from. And, and listen, you may not be able to say, oh, someone has a need, but I don't have the $500 to give them. You don't need to. There's many, many ways of showing care and kindness and concern. There's texting people and calling people and visiting people and making cookies for people and meals for people, listening to people, talking with people, going out to breakfast with people. There's all kinds of it. Witnessing to people, serving people, serving mosaic. There's all kinds of it. But let it be our intention as a church. Jesus, we don't want to be a fake. We don't want to be the hypocrites. We want to be the people who love God and love others. Jesus said, these are the two commandments which hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us. It is so easy for us to fall into this religious mode that when we think coming to church and reading and studying our Bible, there's all there is into it. God, may we never just be hearers of your word but may we be doers and doers of it in our relationship with people. Father, we need each other and we need you and they are connected. May we this week on purpose, new ways, creative ways, thoughtful ways, prayerful ways that we can minister to others. Father, may we have the heart that Jesus had and that this widow had of being devoted to you. Give us that kind of heart corporately and individually, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are